Hello, and welcome to the third episode of the Lowell Stories podcast. I'm your host, Eric Doss. I'm excited to bring my conversation with Cruz Ricker to you today. Cruz is the director of real estate at the Coalition for a Better Acre and has previously worked for the city of Lowell in the planning department. Cruz and I had such a phenomenal conversation that we actually got started without introducing her. So unlike previous episodes, this conversation is going to be a little more heavily edited. So we tie the different parts together in a more logical sequence. This episode was really fun to record with Cruz. You're going to hear stories about her time as a union electrician, uh, which was right before the recession of 2008. You're going to hear stories about working with some of Whitey Bulger's henchmen, and you'll even hear about the proposed monorail that was supposed to make traffic easier to navigate in Lowell. This is a really exciting interview, and I hope you enjoy it. From Massachusetts originally? I am from California. Ah, okay. So how did you end up uh, on this coast? So I uh, I grew up in California. I grew up in Santa Cruz, California, um, and cannot afford to move back. And it just seems like every opportunity that I've had, you know, I, when I graduated from college, when I got my master's degree, when I was trying to figure out, you know, in my 30s, what I was up to, I just, you know, something would always come up and be like, oh, I'm going to stay in Massachusetts. This is a great opportunity. So I came out uh, to go. I did my undergraduate uh, degree. Holyoke College, which is a women's college out in South Hadley, Mass, right. um, which is very, very close to Holyoke, Mass. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the the thing that I really, really, you know, that really that I connected with was was the history and was the brick and kind of the monumental buildings. Um, California is not like that. I grew up with a lot of highway and you know a lot of you know low, low, low development. Even though I did. Grow- the ocean, which was wonderful. My sure. high school surf team. Are you really? Yes. I didn't even know that was a thing. And that. So I, you know, I came out here to go to to go to school. You know, I really wanted this sort of like the ivy on the walls and stuff uh, experience, and um, just absolutely fell in love with it. Um, you know, because I was closer to Holyoke and would drive through, you know, some of these towns. You know, especially going back and forth to school, I it just. Um, you know, I'd always think to myself, what happened here? You know, this is, this, some of this architecture is outstanding. You know, this is, why are, why are these, you know, towns like this? Why are they mm. the way they are? You know, and why aren't they, you know, what, what caused the fall off? So I majored in history um, and got out of school and moved with my girlfriend at the time to Boston. And, um, really couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. And I, I took a job with a carpenter just to kind of make money. And with her electrician who was in the electricians union in Boston and, you know, through conversations and lunchtime stuff, he said, look, you know, you don't know what you want to do next or what you want to go to school for next, whatever. Why don't you just go through the apprenticeship program? Because let me tell you, by the time you're done with that, you'll have enough money and be able to figure out whatever you want to do. But I was like, oh, this is a great idea. So I, I went through the apprenticeship program mm-hmm. at, at IBW, International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 103, Woo. and um, took five years. I mean, the, the only five years of school that you take where you don't come out and get called, <laughs> get called doctor. <laughs> um, it was a long time, man. Um, but yeah, I worked. Uh, it was 40 hours a week, and it was like 20 plus hours of a week of school. 
um, I got out, got my license, um, and was running work and, you know, working on various job sites. And the, you know, then it was 2009 mm-hmm. and everybody got laid off. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went down to the union hall and I signed the book and I signed it and I was number 1780 something. They said, come see us in three years. And I was like, uh, yeah, have time to do a master's. <laughs> it was, it was not easy. And, and, you know, I'm not gonna, um, I, I, I won't sugarcoat it. It was not easy to be a woman, no. um, on those jobs. It was certainly not easy to be a gay woman on those jobs. Um, it was, you know, I ran into a lot of guys that just really great guys. And I ran into a lot of guys that weren't great guys, you know, this is kind of a weird story, but, um, I was on the job with one of Whitey Bulger's gang, um, Pat knee after he got out of federal prison and I'll never, yeah, he was like one of the guys in the track suits on the ship trying to take the arms to the IRA. And then they, they snagged those guys. So he got out of federal prison and he went to work for the laborers union. And for some reason I ended up on a series of jobs with him and Pat knee was, um, 2004 and gay marriage, same-sex marriage was legalized in Massachusetts over the vociferous, you know, protestations of then Governor Romney. There were a couple dudes on the job, I was, you know, who were upset about it and were making a lot of noise about it. And Pat and he came up to me and said, if one of those guys gives you trouble today, you come talk to me and tell me who. And I was like, are you going to kill that person? I was about to say, not an idle threat, given the source. So with the opportunity to continue her career as a union electrician drying up very quickly, Cruz took an opportunity to reevaluate the direction for her career. And as many people do when they reach an inflection point, she sat down and took an inventory of what she enjoyed and what she was passionate about in life and used that as her direction forward. I Googled things I liked. I was like, I like architecture. I like construction. I like politics. I like law. I like history. Is there a like job? drawing a Venn diagram and like yeah. finding out where that all crosses? And it was like urban planning came up. I mean, and it makes sense, right? Boy, that sounds really interesting. And so, so that's that's how you got from from you know being a, a an electrician yeah. to yep. to yep. Harvard to Harvard. How long did that take? So, so when did you, so this is 09, like you get laid so, off, right? So 09 and, um, I was going through a breakup Okay. <laughs> and, um, and I, uh, I had just, I got laid off and, and was told, you know, and, and I, and I just thought to myself, you know, well, now is the time. It turns out that urban planning wasn't too much of a stretch for Cruz. As soon as she arrived at Harvard on matriculation day for new students. She was joined by her sister. And as they toured the campus, Cruz's sister realized that this was the place for her. My sister looked at me and said, boy, this is our family hobby, isn't it? And so, you know, my, my now wife who, who I met in grad school said, you are absolutely the best self-taught planner without a doubt that I've ever come across. And so I, I really look at, you know, my parents in, in, you know, real um, interest in that kind of stuff, interest in local government. They both worked in local government for a 
time. Um, you know, having hearing those conversations, having those conversations, why would you put that there? Why would this be here? They're going to try and do this. That sounds awful for our town for the following reasons. You know, moving into American history and learning about city building early, um, especially industrial city building, um, and then actually getting my hands dirty, you know, constructing those kinds of things and, and being at the, you know, really the end product of plans and designs and, you know, all of this stuff, um, you know, really kind of pushed me, led me to, you know, wanting to, to get a far more technical uh, understanding of it, as well as historical um, understanding of it, because I think we can see a lot of that playing out right now. It wasn't just urban planning in general that was interesting to Cruz as she moved through her master's program at Harvard. She realized that she was drawn to a particular type of city, a particular feature of the Massachusetts landscape that was more interesting to her than any other type of city or urban planning challenge. I became extremely interested in Massachusetts gateway cities. And this is a designation that was actually made by the governor, Deval Patrick. Um, certain smaller sized cities around the Commonwealth, not Boston, um, you know, just, just the usual suspects, the, the cities and towns that you would think of, Springfield, Lawrence, Holyoke, Lowell, Fitchburg, um, Taunton on the South Shore or some um, but basically, these kind of mid-sized cities um, with a lot of vacancy, um, with a lot of really great character, um, you know, vintage downtowns, things that that are are really attractive um, to certain to certain folks that just um, underutilized, that've been underutilized, not a lot of support um, for. And what started to come through in the data was that this is where immigrants were starting to land. We're in some of these cities, just like always. Right. Um, right. That's not like a new designation, you no. know, Look, I mean, at least I, I don't, I don't know about, uh, Holyoke or I, I really know a, a little bit about Lowell, even less about Lawrence, but, yeah. but you know, folks have been coming here for, for, oh, yeah. for hundreds yeah. of I, years. I mean, if you know Lowell, you know, the story it, it, right. it is, it's, yeah, I mean, it's Irish immigrants, it's the Acadians, it's yes. the Greeks, it's the Portuguese, yes. more yes. recently, it's the yep. Cambodians. Many of these gateway cities were prime real estate for urban redevelopment. In the 60s and 70s, the federal government had gotten involved in encouraging urban redevelopment, and generally that took the role of demolishing large chunks of old buildings and neighborhoods. Um, and you can see it absolutely in the landscape of Lowell, the connector, um, mm -hmm. the North Canal apartments with CBA runs, you know, a lot of these old, old school urban renewal projects that were funded almost completely by the federal government that really just tore cities and and that kind of fabric urban fabric apart sure um and now bisected you know bisex communities abs isolates uh people you know we we looked at that um yeah so i was in uh charleston south carolina when oh, they yes. rebuilt yes. the what's now the ravenel bridge yep. um and you know the first story of building that bridge was about destroying you know uh lower income black neighborhoods 
And so was yes. the second story. Yes. And it, it destroyed entire swaths of neighborhoods. You know, it's um, those those plans are made, uh, you know, with this eye towards some sort of future and, and not recognizing the, the humanity and the, and the culture that's getting destroyed, uh, you know, under the footings of the bridge. And Without now and now under the footings of those bridges are, you know, hundred, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for apartments. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. I, and, and that is the concern. I mean, here in here in Lowell, you know, the first urban renewal plan that was enacted in Lowell was called Hale Howard. And it's that whole area kind of behind the Y where the where the connector sort of lands there on Thorndike mm-hmm. Street. And that was mm-hmm. um, the it, it was the home of the, the Jewish community in Lowell, the Hale Howard. Uh, okay. there. I, All and that neighborhood was completely destroyed. Um, you know, you can still kind of go back in there. There's there. I think there is still standing a former synagogue building. Um, but that was the the first one, and and you know subsequent plans for for North Canal, um, for Father Arcand. I don't know who the listeners are who understand the geography of Lowell, yeah. but originally a much larger freeway planned through downtown Lowell that would go around on Father Arcand and around there by all of, all of those um, tall buildings on the river. Really? So so at the end of the connector, it was going to turn or or bank or something and yep. and sweep through towards the river, towards the bend of the river. And correct. So, the, okay. you know, the, the Lowell Planning Department has that plan with there's pictures of it. You can certainly call or reach out and ask for those. There's also wow. a plan for a monorail in downtown Lowell that exists. Um, wow. But for me, I think the biggest the most telling um uh, story about that is, you know, these urban renewal projects came into Lowell, Hale Howard, the connector, others, and within 10 years, they were working to establish a national park to save the rest. Um, obviously, you know, Paul Songus, Steve Jonkis, that Jim Cook, all that, um, who really recognized that there was something worth saving here and that it was not, you know, moving forward with these massive, massive plans to raise neighborhoods and put in the roads, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, Lowell already is a shortcut over the Merrimack River to Drickettingsboro points north, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. It would have been a million times worse had that wow. giant road gone in um, and really would have, you know, cut lower and upper, you know, Belvedere away from um, the acre, Lower Highlands. Mm-hmm. By the time Cruz joined the city of Lowell, the city and the nation had changed their approach to urban planning and urban revitalization. So you get to Lowell yep. working for the city. What was yep. your job there? And and how does that, uh, like, what, what did you oversee? You know, what was, what was exciting about the work that you were able to do for the city for, for about five years? Is that yeah, right? Five years. I, okay. so I worked for the, worked for the city for five years. Um, I started as their urban renewal project manager. Um, and so, you know, we were sort of talking about the years of the bad urban renewal and the highway building and the, and the blight clearance and the slum, so-called slum clearance yeah. into, you know, this new version, this, this, this new iteration of mm-hmm. urban renewal, which is we're going to put together a plan. We are going to have extensive community involvement in putting this plan together. We are going to involve every stakeholder we can think of. We are going to make sure we have meeting after meeting after meeting. And there's, you know, this, this, the state governs the process because really what happens is 
you can, a city, a city or a town designates an area that they're looking to revitalize. They draw a boundary around that area. And that's very contentious always, you know, that involves a lot of community participation and what it allows um, the government then the city to do is to take property via eminent domain, not for free. You know, you, the, the property owner is very you get compensated, very well compensated. Um, because what happens is, is when you, when the city were to, were, were the city to take one of those properties and say, we want to build some housing here, or we think that what we're, what will work here is housing, then that property owner who's been sitting on the vacant, let's just say property for 10 years, then is compensated for the property as if housing were built on it already. So even with a lot of really exciting and encouraging opportunities available in Lowell, Lowell still presents a number of challenges to urban planners and politicians. From the outside looking in, um, Lowell is just a triumph in in renewal, urban revitalization, uh, stakeholder, um, you know, involvement, team building, consensus building, forward thinking, you know, this idea, this vision of the future. And all we're really arguing about is how to get there. Mm -hmm. I think that's really slacked off. I think that, you know, for a long time, the city pretty much as a whole had this idea that, you know, the canal district's the next thing, got a lot of great businesses coming in downtown. And, you know, it was very, very fertile. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's really dropped off. And it's, it's unfortunate. And I, I, you know, I'm really hoping that COVID isn't the nail in the coffin, but it's, I, it's become, it's it's far more fractured than it was. I think we're losing a lot of those old school, you know, let's work together um, folks. Um, Jim Cook at the Lowell Plan retired. You know, so many retirements um, of of people that really kind of built the momentum, you know. And it's it's hard. It's hard to see because you know, as a planner coming in, I was like, this is it. I've hit the hit the jackpot. I'm going to Lowell, um, you know, where they know how to do things. And I got right. there. And I was like, what are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Of course, no conversation about politics or urban planning in Lowell would be complete without a discussion of the controversy and conflict over the new high school. I I think it's, it's fair. (laughs) It's no (laughs) small statement to talk about politics in Lowell and how seriously it's taken um, and how I think um, seriously counselors take their jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that's not, I think that's true, you know, everywhere to some extent. Um, but when you look at, you know, campaigns and stuff for, for Lowell city council, for state Senator, for rep, it's, they're they're just so intense. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I talk to friends that live in other towns and they're like, I don't know, you know, yeah, sure. I'm voting for this person. I'm voting for that person. But here it's just like, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it becomes the event of, you know, every two years, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it's, it's so, 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 um, I don't know. I think it's, you know, just something that's really woven into Lowell, um, you know, in, into just just how Lowell is. Um, 
And it's a wonderful thing because people are really engaged. Um, and it's also kind of not so great because I think it leads to a lot of navel gazing and splitting hairs. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I heard, you know, and I know that this our touchstone is so often the high school debate. And one of the best things I heard about it is nobody's arguing that we don't need a new high school. I mean, right. I never heard that. I never heard the like, this is fine. We're fine with this. Yeah, no. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, we need new high school. Right. You know, what we ended up arguing over was where, for who, transportation mm-hmm. issues, some of the conservation issues, you know, all planning issues, mm-hmm. you know, things that really should be kicked to technocrats, you know, people that look at the stuff, you know, people who look at the data, who look at what it would take to do, uh, you know, to, to have, let's say, a high school in either location or to do. The renovations. I feel like you know the the information was never presented holistically all at once, so that anybody could make a decision. And that was driven by politics. You know, it's right. one of those things. You know, why are we hiding the fact, or why are we not talking about the fact that one site does have benefits, but here are the disadvantages as well, right? And we, and and none of that was ever really clearly laid out. I feel like for either site. And not for nothing, but why are we deciding where to put our high school based on a popular vote and general political, uh, you know, inertia? Right. It, it, we're, this thing's going to cost half a billion dollars at the end of the day. It's going to be the largest public investment ever made in this city. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the decisions that were really that were made about it just seem like really, really getting into weeds that are not political should not be political. Should not be political. I mean, I think that that's the challenge, right? Like in in some ways, Lowell is a very small town. I mean, Lowell's a good sized city, you know, fourth fourth largest in in the state. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but, you know, it has striking similarities to small towns. Absolutely. And, and I think that some, some of that is, you know, um, a distrust of professional management. You know, if you look at the the city manager style of government and, uh, you know, you, you have politicians who are mostly, you know, whose, whose job is mostly to enable the professionals, the technocrats to do their job. There's a much higher level of distrust for that in smaller towns, you know, that are used to having a strong city council or strong mayor. The national park in downtown Lowell is one of the most visible reminders that, we have changed our approach to urban redevelopment and renewal in the past 50 years. But that movement didn't start at the federal level, and it didn't even necessarily start at the citywide level. Some of the first opposition and movement against the destruction of property was done in small neighborhood groups like the Coalition for a Better Acre. Where Coalition for a Better Acre got its start. Um, Coalition for a Better Acre started as an activist organization to push back against city plans, government plans, mm-hmm. acre neighborhood mm-hmm. specifically. Um, this idea that you no, know, we don't want any more slum and blight clearance here. We want, right. you know, this is a neighborhood. We intend to maintain it. We've already had North Canal, um, you know, other, you know, large, large scale urban, urban development mm-hmm. um, projects, um, you know, over the years. 
And that's really where Coalition for Better Acre was founded um, as this um, you know, activist organization rejected a lot of the initial ideas from the city and then, you know, were brought in or, you know, really demanded a, a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. The acre plan was developed, um, had a seat at the table. Um, it's, it's a, I would say it's probably the most successful urban renewal activity uh, that the city has done thus far. It's the oldest plan, you know, kind of in this new modern iteration. Okay. But the Stuclosa School, that's what it is. And oh. then um, and the Market Basket and mm-hmm. a few other things. Um, the Senior Center, that used to be the old city stables. Um, oh, that project. really? Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's where I went to yeah. early. But I was just thinking of the, the Senior yeah. Center there. Oh. Um, the old city stables. Um, and so kind of out of that, um, Coalition for a Better Acre, you know, activist organizations became um, a community development corporation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which means that, you know, the organization became a developer of affordable housing and worked closely with the city on properties um, identified in the plan mm-hmm. uh, to be housing, to be, um, you know, renovated, revitalized. Um, and now, uh, you know, several, several, several high-performing uh, properties, and by high-performing, I mean stable tenancy, you know, uh, uh, involvement in neighborhood, you know, um, you know, property um, uh, upkeep, things like mm-hmm. that. Um, uh, really, I think are are um, contributing a lot, you know, to to sort of this neighborhood um, uh, culture. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's it's a it's it's really, I think, a good example of um, a, a way that this can be done. Um, almost in a public-private partnership where you have the city who's able to do the plan, who's able to help you out on getting, you know, some of these properties that that mm-hmm. could get stuck, um, you know, never turned over, lack of land, you know, property owner interest or whatever, to to turn them back over into, you know, into contributing um, uh, uh, properties. Since they started as an advocate for residents in the acre, the Coalition for a Better Acre has expanded their mission and the services they provide. They now do everything from workforce development to youth programs to owning and managing real estate across the city and in the greater Merrimack Valley area. One of the most interesting programs that Cruz shared with me is a new opportunity to try to make home ownership more accessible to more people. We're also looking at and, um, you know, just received a a grant for um, looking at um, shared equity housing. The idea that, you know, really trying to to start to think about this job as a a continuum of housing. And the city of Lowell has recently started to look a lot at, you know, the the homelessness, you know, some homelessness issues, um, you know, in Lowell and, and, and how we deal with that. One of the ways that that you help alleviate the unhoused is that you start building not only first rung housing, mm-hmm. um, say an SRO, mm-hmm. a studio, something very, very, very he- heavily subsidized, but at at the top as well. So you know, let's just we talk about you know families that have that live you know in, in some of our properties now, and where might they go? So. You know, let's say we've we've got someone who's had an apartment here for for a long time, and you know, has 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 put some income together, has put some, 
equity together and wants to move into home ownership, what product can CBA build that could that could help bridge that? And so, and we, so that means that's like in terms of of access to, uh, you know, to some capital so that they could, uh, you know, do do something like. Uh, you know, you you give them some assistance with with some equity, you know, with some cash to get into a place, and and CBA retains some sort of equity uh, stake. Correct. And- Correct. So the the way that it works is, you know, that person would move into a house that was built with shared equity, and there's a lot of ways that you can do that with mm-hmm. a deed restriction or a co-op or something. You know, whatever mm-hmm. the, the mechanism is, mm-hmm. and then they would own that house for as long as owned it. The idea is that when that person went to sell that house, the subsidy that went into it will mm-hmm. pay. So they will not be able to realize, say, 100% of market equity on the home. Right. They, you know, and this is this is what we're looking at. How do we set it up? Is there a way that we document dollars that folks have put into these properties that they mm-hmm. can reimburse, say, um, at sale? You know, mm-hmm. is um, an increment that makes sense to start putting, you know, really putting together some some wealth for folks. Mm-hmm. So they move from this with some amount less equity, right, than you might get from buying a house on the market and then reselling it on the market, but certainly enough to move into the market, right? Housing housing is generally, you know, across a thirty year mortgage, it ain't getting cheaper, you know. And and if you give people the ability to to own eighty percent of that that gener- generational exactly. wealth builder, then gosh, exactly. like the the impact that you can the outsized impact that you can have per dollar invested is pretty pretty incredible. And then and also the neighborhood really reaps the benefit of the externalities of home ownership. Sure, you know, sure. maintaining the pro- you know all of the things that we talked about um, mm-hmm. coming. You know, all you know studies show that, that folks that are, that own in a neighborhood, become more invested in the neighborhood, get more active in the neighborhood. Um, and again, that's, you know, that's CBA's bread and butter is like an active neighborhood. Anybody who's searched for housing in Lowell knows that we have a housing supply problem. And while programs such as shared equity are a great way to get people into houses, it doesn't solve the overall supply problem. So, Cruz and I spent a little time talking about what the city plans to do and some possibilities to make housing more accessible in Lowell. One of the things that um, I think that the city's looking at is the production plan. Um, one of the things that I uh, was looking at before I left and will continue to advocate for in my new position is um, some zoning reform based on either a housing production plan or simply because, you know, the impact of the scarcity. I mean, make no mistake, scarcity in property has to do with zoning. Uh, hmm. there's, there's, there's plenty of land. Okay. What you can do on it, you know, and what, you know, what individual property owners can do, you know, what, what government can do, what, you know, us, a community development corporation can do. Um, you know, zoning is is really what restricts that. Hmm. Um, and so it does take, again, you know, like we were talking about when we started, you know, this is this really sort of technocratic argument, you know, right. if we zone like this, we'll be able to do this and then the property taxes and the impact and the neighborhoods and whatever. But also there's a, a very, um, you know, 
real-time political announcement. Mm-hmm. We don't want any more affordable housing in the city. Why aren't we building market rate? Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing that? Again, the counter is the more variety you have, the better for everybody. Right. Right. It's, you know, again, at this point, like it, it is, there is a high housing supply crisis. So if you're going to build market rate, then some people are going to be able to access that, which may right. very well free up, uh, you know, the same number of units for somebody who couldn't. Correct. Right. You know, who can't afford it's, that, who can't move to the exchange. Right. You know? I, you, at some point, you you need to reach rather than this, you know, you, well, this is a podcast and so no one can see my hands, but you know, <laughs> it's going to get you to, you'll, you'll, you will arrive at, at, at stasis. Um, sure. Makes sense. Um, yeah. You know, for, for everybody here. And, and zoning, zoning is the key. It's, it, we don't lack, we don't lack land in Lowell. I think we lack density in Lowell. Lowell is really built out. And, and most <laughs> of the industrial cities I, you know when you when you look at, at zoning you're looking at like two acre zoning four acre zoning that they have in wellesley you mm-hmm. know winchester whatever right. and over um but i think i think lowell could do better um you know with allowing more density on the properties that are here more adus on um you know in our single family zones um you know in some of the in some of our neighborhoods that have more property like belvedere like the mm-hmm. Etc. Um, I mean, I've got a pretty useless garage, uh, yeah, right, right, right out my window here. I would, I would certainly be open to a discussion about an ADU there. I mean, on Absolutely. a number of different levels, like um, you know, if that were family getting older that wanted to to be here that needed to be here, right. Or, you know, because hey, rents are expensive, and right. uh, it, it would be it would not be difficult. Don't worry, we didn't spend our entire conversation complaining about politics or housing policy or federal policy with regard to urban renewal. As somebody who's lived in Lowell for a while and spent a lot of time, especially in the downtown area, Cruz had some great recommendations about what to show visitors where to eat and who you should know in Lowell. Uh, so three questions about Lowell yeah. that I want to get everybody on record. Number one, what do you show people in Lowell when they come to visit? Um, the first place I take people is the boot mills. Okay, good call. That's one of my favorites, particularly if the, uh, you know, if the machines are running. Uh, oh. if, if you can hear that or down into the basement where you can see the waterworks and stuff. Exactly. Um, uh, the I first have... place I, the first time I went into the room with the looms and they had them going, all I could think is what must this city have seen? Oh my God. Can you imagine? It's, it's cacophonic. It's, I mean, just in the whole river, like the whole yeah. <laughs> river was covered with that. I know. You know. I know. I mean, can you imagine? Like I'd love, yep. I'd love to hear that. Um, second question. <laughs> Favorite bar or restaurant? I mean, my favorite bar is the Worthen. <laughs> of course it is. I love that place. <laughs> I do too. Like, oh man. <laughs> I think I think the last time I was there was with you. Uh, yeah, that was probably. For Laura's birthday, I think. Yep. Um, yep. Oh yeah. Ooh, half price egg rolls that night. I remember yeah. that. That was like <laughs> not. That seems like both not very long ago and also and also so long, so ago. long ago. I know. May, I know. May may it be uh, possible again. And and then the final one: living or dead, uh, most interesting person you've met in Lowell. Right. Jeez, that is <laughs> a great 
God. You know, I, so I have a friend who, uh, who is, who's been in Lowell. He's a business owner in Lowell. He lives in a loft in Lowell. He is a libertarian Republican, um, guy who I get along with really, really well, interestingly. And he's, he's really been here from the start. Um, and I, 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 his name is Trent Pepicelli. Um, he owns CrossFit Lowell. Yeah, he owns Pad Printing Systems, which is over off of, not Moore Street. I can't remember the name of the street. Um, and I I enjoy, I really like talking to him. Um, you know, one, he's, you know, this grouchy libertarian guy. And uh, so, you know, it kind of keeps me in check. And, and two, because he really does, he's such a supporter of the city. One of those people who could live anywhere just to live here. I feel like he gets it in terms of, you know, revitalization, renewal, all of these things. And yet, you know, I had a conversation with him at one point and he said, you know, I just this, this, we'll go back to the high school. The high school is going to cost a ton of money. Why couldn't we do it cheaper? Why couldn't they do this? Why couldn't they do that? And I said, yeah, of course, all of those things, you know, there's a lot of stop, you know, there's a lot of restrictions, a lot of regulations that go into public work. And he said, but if we're going to spend the money, we need to have a high school that looks like this city and is accessible to everybody. I mean, he's just this dude that's like, I'm a business owner. I'm, you know, I'm this, I'm that. Um, but he also just keeps hanging in there. And, and, and every now and then I was like, you know, maybe I do or don't agree with you about all of this, you know, red tape and government stuff. Sure. sure. But we're on the same page. And again, that's, again, I really do think that's the story of Lowell. You know, we all agree. We need a new high school. We all you know, we can fight over all. We, yeah, we want it to be the best it can be. Right. Uh, right. You know, and if you're going to spend all this money, it better do a really good job of serving the kids and the town. Couldn't agree you more. Know? Um, well, Cruz, look, I really uh, appreciate it. Uh, we will, um, you know, obviously in the show notes have some links to the Coalition for a Better Acre so you can yeah, see the please. work that, that Cruz is doing. Um, yeah. I appreciate your time and uh, it's just been a great conversation. Anytime, Eric. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Cruz Ricker, the director of real estate at the Coalition for a Better Acre. If you'll check out the post on our website or the show notes in your podcast player, you'll find links to the coalition and also some other related information that I dug up about the monorail and different previous plans for Lowell. I'd really appreciate it if you subscribed to the podcast using whatever program you listen to the podcast in and also rate and review us. It helps other folks find the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the Lowell Stories podcast, you can visit our website at www.lowellstories.com or find me on Instagram at Lowell Stories. I'd love the opportunity to help tell your story. Thank you.